0: let's pray and then we'll get into the word father we're grateful lord we're grateful in these days to belong to you uh, none of us saw this none of us would think about it but but lord we see that as we are in these last days that, that this is a a major birth pain this is a major contraction and that has gone throughout the whole planet. And, and we're, we're just amazed as we look out, as students of your word, and we see the things that were spoken 2,000 years ago, way beyond that, coming to pass. And so, Lord, we pray together as a church, as believers, as a body, that you would have your way with each of us individually, that you'd have your way with us as a church, And Lord, that you would just show the importance, the critical importance of what it is to belong to Christ in these days. So Father, we commit this time to you. We pray that you would work, that you would move, that you would direct this message, and that would be for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 2. Last week, we looked at, at the end of chapter 1, we looked at priorities, perspective, purpose, and power, the result of which could be peace, uh, especially the, the, when we looked at the perspective that we need to have, because as our priorities al- are aligned with his, we're loving him, loving others, which what Jesus said was the greatest law, essentially, uh, was that as that happens, as our perspective is in place, as we look out and our worldview is from the standpoint of the kingdom, from the standpoint of God's word from the standpoint of this is real life and and the rest is not. Yeah, it's these things are, this life we're told in the Bible is as a vapor. It appears for a moment and then it's gone. And yet what we make of this life, what we do in this life is all important, uh, especially when it comes to Jesus and whether or not we have let the weight of our lives down on him. Because I'll tell you, folks, there's a lot of weight there right now. And if you don't have Jesus, then you're gonna bear that weight yourself. And that's not what God designed man for. He wants to shoulder the burden. Anyway, we looked at the, the perspective and, and looking back, we looked at Romans chapter eight, we looked at Matthew twenty-four, where he spoke of these birth pangs. We spoke he spoke of travail, of of sorrows. And and as we've looked at that, we've seen that our perspective needs to be a heavenly one, looking at the events that are around us through the lens of God's word and his Holy Spirit. And as we have that perspective, we understand that our purpose is all important. Again, our purpose is to know God, to know him more, to, to be conformed to his image, to understand that suffering is part of this life, that trials are part of what We will go through because he says in the world you will have, not you might, but you will have tribulation. And we see tribulation coming upon the world in in ways that, again, we wouldn't have imagined. And yet here we are. I pray that it's for a short season. I don't know. I don't, I'm not a medical guy, but I pray that these things will be uh, just something that wakes people up and that we can resume our lives. The point is, and what we looked at in in having a perspective on this, is that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that has largely rejected God, has rejected Christ, his provision for us to come into relationship with him. And so with that in mind, we look at these things, and, and the great burden of our hearts as Christians is that people would come not because we want to fill the church. We don't have a church to fill right now. Yeah, I'm in the church, but I, I took a photograph during uh, when Jennifer first started singing uh, of uh, there she is alone on the stage in an empty church, and yet that's the days we live in. Our burden is for people to come, to step from death to life. That's what we're looking at this morning. And so as we look at this, we, we see that in... God's word in the book of Ephesians, there are no chapter breaks. Those were added by man. And last week, Paul gave the ultimate example of God's power. And when he talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he rose from the dead, that he took his life back up. Now, in chapter two, Paul considers the implications of Jesus's right, resurrection power in practical ways for you and I. And so, before I launch into the text, I want to give you a breakdown. This is how I'm going to teach this, and it, it, we're only going to hit the first section. There are three sections here I want to look at. Uh, first is the need for reconciliation in verses one through three. That's what we'll cover today, uh, the Lord willing. And we're going to look at the life of a Christian from death to life. I mean, we look at it in the natural realm of, of going from life to death, but we live in an upside-down kingdom, and what God's will is is for people to step from death to life. We'll look at that. And then we'll look at, in verses 2 and 3, the life of death, how dead people behave. And, and, and we'll see that such were we, Prior to Christ, and if you don't know Him this morning, you'll identify with the things we're going to talk about, and you'll have opportunity to make a change to all of that. Uh, The next section we'll look at is the process of personal reconciliation to God. The whole theme of chapter two is reconciliation—what it is to be reconciled to God. So, the the first section is the need for reconciliation. The second section is the process of personal reconciliation to God, and that's in verses four through ten. Uh, we'll look at the past, present, and future of God's work in us individually, having been reconciled, uh, and He sums all of that up in verses eight to ten. So, uh, the the third section we're going to look at is the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles, and essentially, the Jews were God's chosen people, the people that God established the promises through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the the fathers of the nation, and all that, but. Prior to that was when Abraham received a promise from God that through him the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's the Gentiles. That's us. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. And we'll look at in verses 11 through 22 of this chapter how God has worked the reconciliation of these two groups. Uh, We'll see that there's truly... No wall. There's, he says in verse 14 here in Ephesians 2 that the dividing wall between these two groups has been taken out of the way. It's a reference to there was a wall in the temple called the Sorg. We'll get into it when we get to verse 14. But it, it was in the court of the Gentiles, the Gentile could go so, only so far. And, and this little four foot or five foot high wall was a, a, a dividing wall. And if you weren't a Jew, you couldn't go any further. And what Paul is saying here is using that metaphorically to say, that's out of the way. It's not about Jew and Gentile. It's not about slave or free. It's not about male or female. It's about a new creation. And, and I, I'm excited for us to get to that. So as we look at the text this morning, now, uh, we're going to begin with the first three verses, as I mentioned. I'll read through them now, and then we'll go back and take a look. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Part of why we're moving so slowly here is these pages, These this particular book is just absolutely saturated with truth. There are so many truths. We, I could go a lot slower than this, but there is so much here, there's so much to chew on, so much meat that I want to take the time to look at it. And I want to also bring application because God's word, it's meant to be like a, a well-worn pair of boots. They don't sit in your closet. They don't do you any good if that's the case, but you take them out and you put them on. And, and that's what God wants us to do with his word, to put it on, to apply it to our lives. So as we look back here at verse one, That the need for reconciliation for Christians to come from death to life, he says, and you he made alive. He literally gave you life, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The word there, dead, is necros, and it means a corpse. So essentially, he's saying, you were a corpse, dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, Pastor John, how does that work? I think I've been alive since I was born. Yeah, but. You gotta realize that this goes all the way back to the garden, all the way back to Adam and Eve. When when men fell. Uh and, and and we don't inherit Adam's sin, but we do inherit his nature because we have a nature of sin. And our sin nature, trespasses and sins, as he says here, is what separates us from God. So when he talks about you here, he's talking to the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus, a city there, uh, and now it would be Western Turkey. Uh, but what he's talking about is the Gentile population. When he says we in this particular discourse, he's referring to the Jews. He's referring to himself and to his countrymen. And so he's already getting into, and they would understand this. We, we need to kind of explain it a bit because we're not in that culture, but they would already understand. He's talking about two groups. And so he'll develop that further on. But right now, what he's talking about is our condition prior to Christ. Uh, it, it, essentially, as he goes along, as I mentioned, he's going to take that that barrier out of the way. He will very clearly portray that it's not about the group that you're a part of. It's not a part. It's not about being uh, a part of a church. It's not about being a part of an organization. It's about being a part of an organism. The largest living organism on planet earth is the body of Christ. And so As we look at that, we'll we'll look at that as we go along. When he said he made us alive, verse 5 says, even when you were dead. He repeats it in a few verses, and we'll look at that next week. But when we look at what does it mean to be made alive? And God's word validates itself. I want to go to Titus chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 4 and 5 there. He says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying here is that we were literally dead men walking, Christians, all right? If you don't belong to Christ, you're still in that category. It's because you are spiritually dead, through faith in the finished work of Christ, that when he went to that cross and he, and he wore our sins, and when he took our sins upon himself, he said by anybody who comes and, and simply applies that truth to their lives, that who comes to faith, to trust that the work was done by him, that now at that point they are washed in the water of regeneration. It, what he's talking about, regeneration means to impart life and renewing by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. He is the one who comes to indwell us and to give us life, to give us understanding. When Jesus in the Gospel of John talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he said he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And, and, and then he will guide you into all truth. You can't understand this. You can't understand biblical, spiritual truth without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that he will glorify me. That in other words, he will shine the light on me. He doesn't do it for himself. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of sin, to guide us into truth, and to glorify Christ. So that's part of what happens when we are regenerated, when we are given life, when we go from death to life. Now, we're not talking about physical death here. Uh, Remember in the Garden of Eden, when God told Adam and Eve, he said, on the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day, you will surely die. They ate and they didn't fall over dead, but they did die because death, we're told in the book of Romans, spread to all men through that act. And now we have this nature of sin, this nature of death that is part and parcel of this life until such a time as we are regenerated in Christ through the work of the cross. Interesting, if you look at it, I look at, the, the, there's a, some debate over whether man is, it's called a trichotomy or a dichotomy. I'm not going to get into a whole big deal on that. But if, if man is body, soul, and spirit... Some say body and then soul and spirit together. But body, soul, and spirit, that you could look at man as an inferior trinity. And, and yet God, we know, is a superior trinity, that he is Father, Son, and Spirit. So you have Father, Son, and Spirit here. And, and then man, body, soul, and spirit, led by the lusts of our flesh. And we'll talk about that here. And, and by our body appetites, because we're dead. We're spiritually dead. Man's spirit, it, we are born Dead. And yet, at conversion, at the moment that I put faith in the work of Christ, there is a flip-flop that goes on in that. No longer am I led around in my life by my fallen, by my sin nature, by the nature of Adam in me. Now, that becomes not my dominant nature anymore, because up until that point, our dominant nature is flesh. That's what he talks about here. But after that, we now can walk by the Spirit, walk in the newness of, of life that he talks about in his word and that we are now spirit beings. We are now people who are guided by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the, that's the transaction that takes place at regeneration. So it's important though to remember he's not saying that you'll be spiritually hurting or that you're spiritually injured or that you are spiritually lacking in some way. He says you're dead and you know, I looked it up. Dead means dead. Like I said, it means necrosis. It's where we get the term necrotic tissue. That's dead tissue. And so when he's talking about that, why are we spiritually dead? Is it because we sin? No, we sin because we're dead. And I'll talk about the difference in that as we go along. But when he talks about trespasses and sins here, trespasses, the Greek word there is paraptima. And it means to literally to slip or to fall. It's used of a man losing his way, straying from the right road. Uh, so when we look at what a trespass is, it's taking the wrong road when we could take the right one. Our will is involved in this, folks. It is missing the truth that we should have grabbed a hold of. Uh, it's a willful wrong thinking is, is really what trespass means. So as we look at this, we look at the word sin here. It's different. It means hamartia, or that's the Greek word, and it means to miss the mark. What it means is it originally was an archery term, and it is as though an archer is taking aim at a target, and he fires the arrow, and the arrow flies right past. I've been... Out bow, practicing with a bow before, and I had a lot of hamartias going on. Uh, the point is, is that to miss the mark means that we don't, we don't get squared up. It brings us face to face with what sin is, because we all miss the mark, don't we? If we look at the basis of God's judgment as thoughts, words, and deeds—things we think, things we say, things we do. How far do we get into just today, into just an hour before we miss the mark? And so, as we look at what sin is, it's easy for us to think about, well, that person's really sinful. That person, I, you know, I, boy, I could see their sin really clear. And you know, a principle here, folks, is you're going to be able to see other people's sin a lot more clearly than your own. Because we're primarily self-centered in our flesh. The broadest definition of sin is anything short of God's divine perfection. Uh, So that applies to all men. I I wish we had time to go into the book of Romans because he talks about death through Adam spread to all men. And that's because of the nature of sin. It manifests as deeds. Now, I am not a... (laughs) How do you put this? I'm not a sinner because I sin. That's not what makes me a sinner. I sin because I'm a sinner, because that's my nature. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking my parents were alcoholics. And they weren't alcoholics because they drank in excess of alcohol. They drank in excess of alcohol because they were alcoholics. You have to be an alcoholic before you can drink too much on a regular habitual basis. There, it's a subtle difference, but it's a, it's a profound difference and it's an important one to make. Uh, as we look at this, as we look at, at sin, excuse me, I want to understand that this is not just a theological statement. It's just, this is not just a theoretical truth. It is It's the nature of death. When he says you're dead in your trespasses and sins, that manifests in our lives uh, in a number of ways. And I'm just going to go through a few of them here. And essentially, this is how dead people behave. The first is spiritual blindness. Uh, I'll give you a scripture here. I'll read a scripture that goes along with each one of these as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we read, But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who don't believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So spiritual blindness is a real thing, and it's not the devil made me do it. You have to cooperate with that spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness is real. I have had many conversations over the years where I would walk away from that conversation scratching my head kind of in awe that, wow, that person definitely doesn't want to get it. And usually it's excuses not to believe. Uh, if you look at the whole creation and evolution deal and all of that, it, it, the, the birthplace of that is spiritual blindness. If you are looking at this world through the lens of, of just that, it's not even a theory. I'm going to go there, but the point is, the spiritual blindness is real, and we're surrounded by it. Uh, the next thing that we see here, as we see how dead people behave, is people are slaves to sin. In Romans chapter six, verse sixteen, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, "Do you not know that you that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey." You are that one slaves to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So being slaves to sin and you, you, that which you feed in your life will grow. If you just are going to blow God off, blow the things of the kingdom off, if you don't want to have anything to do with Christ, you will be a slave to sin. You're either a slave to sin, or you're a slave to righteousness, right living, which is that's what that means, and and that only comes through faith in Christ, through the work of the cross. Again, part of the power of the resurrection, in resurrected living, in living a, a, a purposed life that is by God's design, it only comes through the Holy Spirit. That hunger and thirst for righteousness that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter five can be ours. The next thing we look at here that how dead people live is, is being lovers of darkness. In John chapter 3, uh, Jesus with Nicodemus says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So we see that that people, if they're going to be Christ-rejecting in this world, that you see that they're lovers of darkness. They don't get up in the morning and say, hey, I'm a lover of darkness. You want to go, you know, whatever. No, but it's true. That's These are things that this is how the world behaves. If you're scratching your head, wondering why people are acting the way that they do, They're just being faithful to their nature. Another way that dead people live is by being lost. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but I think of Luke chapter 15, where uh, there's actually three parables there. The parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. And, And And each one of those, Jesus is talking about seeking out that which is lost. Because lost people don't generally want to be found because that spiritual blindness is pervasive to the point that they really don't care. And yet God's heart is toward the lost. God's heart is towards the lights coming on. Somebody coming to true faith in the work of Christ. In chapter 15 of Luke, Luke's gospel, in verse 24, we see as the prodigal son returns and the father runs out to meet him, tackles him, falls on his neck, begins to kiss him, and says, kill the fatted calf and, and bring the best robe, bring the, the, the family ring and, and the sandals and all of that. He says, let's have a party. And what he says in that is this, my son was dead and is alive again. We're talking about this concept of death and life. And he says, and he was lost and is found. And so if you're a Christian this morning, it's because you're a found person. If you're not, the only other option is being lost. Held under the power of darkness is another one. Is that people, again, people don't get up and say, I think I'll be held under the power of darkness today. And well, some do. But essentially in Colossians chapter one, verse 13 and 14, he says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. There's that concept again. So talking about how dead people live held in darkness. And yet it's Jesus, part of what he does, part of the miraculous transaction that he does when we give our lives to him is he conveys us, he carries us from the power of darkness and conveys us into the kingdom of the son of his love. I love the way that's stated there. Uh, The last thing here is we see here in in Ephesians chapter two that, that people, that dead people, that lost people, Are aliens, strangers, foreigners, and children of wrath. Uh, we'll get there as we go along. So again, just some examples from God's word of how dead people live. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's really not when you understand that the spiritual realm is the real realm that this life. Again, you gotta have the perspective that we talked about last week. This life is temporary. This life is temporal. We live on a broken planet. We live in a sea of sin. The central idea of sin is failure. It's failure to hit the target. It's failure to to stay on the road. It's failure to make life what it was capable of becoming. And this definition includes every single one of us. Uh, Some of the hardest people to reach. Uh, it's been my experience, are people that think that they're there because they're good, moral, upstanding people. And yet, when you look at God's definition of sin, you see that, that nobody gets off, that, that condemnation did spread to all men. You can't be good enough in yourself. We'll look at that further as we get into the, the, the fact, the reality that we're saved by his grace, not because of what we've done, But the point is, is that we live in a sinful world and as redeemed people, there's a difference. So in verse one, we looked at Christians being alive from the dead. In verses two and three, we're gonna look again here at the life of death. He says in verse two, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So, We once walked in those trespasses and sins. That was a habit of life. It was a manner of being. There was no consciousness of sin in that. Um, and, And so as we look here at the prince of the power of the air, he's not the ultimate ruler. He's a great counterfeit. He has great power. Men submit to his realm willingly. They may not say, you know, be an avowed Satanist, but if this world is held in the grips of Satan himself and his highly orchestrated uh, system, the the kingdom of, of the air, if if that's held in his hand, then people who are not part of the kingdom of light, guess what, are part of the kingdom of darkness, and so when he talks about the course of this world, he's talking about the way that the world functions. He's talking about this sin-filled, this fallen nature-generated and and motivated and operating world that we live in. It is filled with sin. And and the longer I'm a Christian, the more I see this reality, and the more I think, you know, I, I just, Lord, deliver me from falling into thinking like the world. I look at the days we're in now. I look at at people hoarding things and and out of fear, going and pushing everybody else out of the way so that they can get theirs and and all that is involved in all of that. And it's sad. It, it's it's tragic for some that are not able to get supplies now because uh, other people came in first. We were at Walmart a week or so ago, a week and a half ago, and the guy said, yeah, we got three cases of hand sanitizer in, and we were asking him about running on groceries and all that, and he said, and we ended up having one of our, our women walk around with a case handing out one bottle at a time, because the minute we set the box down, somebody came and took the entire box and took it off to the cash register. There's people being motivated by fear, and, and being predisposed to sin because it's a nature. Sin is a nature that manifests in deeds. Satan in his dominion uh, is very real. He comes, the Bible tells us, as an angel of light. Uh, There are so many things that pull for our attention, that, 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 want to reach out and grip us. And we have to be very careful, folks, because that lust is very real. And when lust is triggered, James tells us it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so... As we understand that we are functioning, that we are living in a fallen, broken world, that, that Satan is still at the helm in, in, in this world, that we don't have to live that way. We don't have to be a part of this. The Bible tells us that we are in, but not of, the world. When he says, you once walked, uh, we look at, the Bible refers to that as, our, as the old man, the, old, the, the, the one who was in existence up until being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that we were crucified with Christ at our conversion. We were set apart and we're called to live set apart. He says in verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. <laughs> I just In my notes here, I have misery loves company. Uh, have you ever noticed that? Uh, as I mentioned, my parents were alcoholics. The place where they loved to hang out was at the bar. Why? Because they were with other people that were caught up in the same thing. You look at meth houses or or, or places where drug addicts congregate and, and and there's an acceptance when you're with people whose brand of sin is the same as your own. and And, and so he says, we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. got to be really careful here to not fall into this mindset, uh, and I've spoken of it before, of black hat, white hat. Uh, we can begin to look, as Christians, we can look at the people around us and say, well, ha! Look at them. They've got black hats and I've got a white hat. And, and, and while that's true, fundamentally, that if your life is in Christ, you have been cleansed, past, present, and future, but It's not our place to go around condemning other people. They already stand condemned. Our place is to love them. Even when they're ornery, even when they're picking at us, even when they're opposing us vigorously. Our place is to love. Uh, I enjoyed what Jennifer had to say in her prayer about just coming out of ourselves and seeing, opening our eyes to the things that are going on around us, to having a heart to serve. Uh, It's important to remember that sinners sin because it's their nature. Uh, I've asked the question rhetorically before. Is a horse thief a horse thief because he steals horses? Again, you've got to understand this. No. He can't steal horses unless he already is a horse thief. So the minute that 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 thought is accomplished in his mind, I'm going to steal that horse, he has now become a horse thief before he even gets close to the corral. And so... In order to do that, that's, that's how that works. So when we're talking about sin here, we're talking about a nature. Not sins, the manifestation of that nature. Really, really important, gang, that we understand that. Do you want a new nature? Do you know Christ this morning? And if you don't know him, you can have a new nature. You can be washed in the water of regeneration. You can have a new life. And I'll tell you what, if there's ever a time where the stresses of life are pressing in on every side, it's now. You don't have to be at the effect of that. You can sleep good tonight because what comes with this is the knowledge, the absolute knowledge that he's in control, that he's got this. Uh, there's not a, this yeah sure this is a global virus that we're facing and and there are people that are that are in deep trouble with their health their physical health but you know the last breath here is backed up to the first breath there to be in our father's presence and so understand that there are eternal stakes in all of this far beyond the physical stakes that are that are so obvious in our culture when he talks about the lusts of our flesh it 's plural there he, he doesn 't say the lust of our flesh it 's lusts, and the reason why that 's plural is because I remember remember the old car commercials some of you if you 're older, you do maybe not if you 're younger but uh, but they would always give this rundown on the, the features of the car and then they 'd say, "Your mileage may vary well, when it comes to lust, your mileage may vary. What is lust for one person may not be lust for the next person and, and For one, it might be sex. For another, it might be pride. For another, it might be greed. Lust comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And when he talks about desire here, it's a bad master. You gotta understand, to be at the mercy of desire is to be a slave, to be enslaved to your lusts. And that's not God's will for us. If you're a Christian this morning and you're flirting, you find yourself in areas where you have no business being, you need to repent, you need to ask God to forgive you, and you need to come home. And you need to be in the center of his will. These are not days to mess around. Desire is it's not simply a fleshly thing. When he talks about desire here, it's the craving of the forbidden thing. It's I, I gotta have that thing that I know that I shouldn't have. Uh I look at the statistics for pornography, even pornography in the church, and it's it's just it's heartbreaking. I look at, at what, what's going on out there with with all of the, the sexual deviance, it's heartbreaking. It's people who are serving their lusts, it's people who are allowing that desire to bring forth sin. And I'll tell you what, it'll leave you high and dry. It'll leave you wanting. There's a, a sort of a, a thought process that goes with feeding lust is that if I can only satisfy it here, then I'll be satisfied. No, you will never satisfy that thing. You will always want more. That which you feed will grow. That which you starve will die. And, and, and Christian, it is absolutely imperative that we understand that it's not God's will for us to be caught up in areas where we have no business being, in in areas of flagrant, habitual, life-dominating sin. Yeah, we all blow it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you're just going back to that trough over and over again with no real regard to the fact that Jesus died for that and the fact that he wants to give you the power to walk away from that. So... As we're doing this, I want to look at, as we wrap up here this morning, uh, you know me, I wrap up a couple of times, I'm going to look at what it is to look inward, to look upward, and to look outward. Are you fearful? Who do you trust? Are you putting your trust in Man. Are you putting your trust in our government's ability to rescue us from this calamity that's befallen the the whole planet? I hope not. Do you know Jesus this morning? If you do, understand that he will be the source of any relief that you have in these perilous days. There's a lot of people hurting out there, a lot of people looking for answers, and and church, it behooves us to be the ones that provide those answers, primarily through giving them the love of Christ, primarily through letting them understand that there's something higher to attain in this life than wanting to fill my shopping cart with toilet paper or hand sanitizer or this or that. It, It doesn't have to be lived on an earthly plane. Are you surrendered to the flesh? Because of our surrender to the old man, to the world, and to the devil, we were, by nature, children of wrath. Every single one of us. The question is, is are you living there now or have you taken care of that? I want to encourage you, turn from your sin, give your life to Christ. Let Him come in and set up housekeeping in your life. You will never regret. You you know, uh, Something that people prominently say, well, I, I, you know, look at all that I'm going to miss. I won't be able to do this or that. Uh, I'll tell you what, I have never missed that which I gave up for Christ. So as we look in and then we look upward. I want to share something that uh, Jennifer, our our worship leader, uh, she put on Facebook yesterday and was really touched. Uh, If you're part of our church and you were here for Sunday night a couple of weeks ago, her father and mother came and visited with us and and led worship with Jennifer. and, And it was a wonderful time. And Uh, his name is Richard. Her mom's name is Kelly. And uh, Richard and Kelly Johnson have worked for Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa for a number of years and actually been worship leaders up at their conference center in Twin Peaks, California, which is the same uh, facility where I went to the Calvary Bible College was there back in the 80s when I went through their program there. At any rate, they've been doing that. And then now with the lockdown, nobody's going to conferences. Nobody's going to that center and they're out of work and they're looking at, well, what do we do now? And this is what he re- wrote uh, on day two of the COVID lockdown. He entitled this personal inventory. He said, yesterday started early with many thoughts and revelations as they're reflected on my life and the amazing opportunity afforded us by the lockdown. Kelly and I spent the first half of the day just talking about things we never find the time to talk about. <clears throat> It started out a little rough as the thought of life change and what has become our norm was a bit overwhelming. And folks, I know for many of us, it can be overwhelming. The longer we talked, we began to look at things differently. Phrases began popping up in our conversation. Uh, in, in, in a perfect world, we would do this or that. If we had the time, we would fill in the blank. Uh, we wish we had the time to, and again, he leaves these open-ended. Uh, then he writes, the time has come. Probably the most profound sentence in all that he wrote. Uh, he says, we started completing those sentences and realized what a precious gift we've been given with the COVID lockdown. We've been afforded the opportunity to take an honest inventory of our lives and press the life reset button. We can get things right that there wasn't time for in our former life. Develop new habits and more productive thought processes. Get better acquainted with the God we serve. Who is this Jesus we claim to be followers of? He goes on to discuss specific changes in their lives, and that would be different in each of ours, but changes that they're sensing God's leading on. In other words, they're taking inventory. They're taking a hard look spiritually, materially, relationally. The point in this is what about you and I? How's the Lord working in your heart or in your hearts if you have a family? How's he working through these circumstances? Are you looking at big challenges as many, many are and seeing, Lord, my security is in you. It's not in my job. It's not in my, my wife as much as I love her or in my husband or in any of that. Our security, if your life is hidden in the beloved, as John writes in, in his epistle, if your life is hidden in him, if you are in Christ, as we've been looking at here in Ephesians the last couple of weeks, then you can have great, great comfort. And it's what opens the door to take inventory, to assess, where is my life at? Where is it going? Lord, how big of a part have I allowed you to play in this? Good questions. Is it status quo? Or is this a real opportunity for real growth? I want to look also at, so looking upward... Lord, where's my life with you? Looking inward, Lord, how do I interact with that? And then looking outward, well, Lord, what now? Taking inventory, making decisions based on who you are and what you're about, based on being a regenerate person who used to walk according to the course of this world, but now walks according to the power of your Holy Spirit. So what now? This is uh, uh, again another testimony from an article that uh, Rick Riverman, one of our elders, sent me the other day. Or yesterday, I guess uh, it just came out a couple of days ago uh, from Breakpoint, uh, Chuck Colson's ministry. Uh, by, written by a guy by the name of Stan Guthrie. I'm just going to give you a few excerpts from this. He says, "Much virtual ink has been spilled over Christians becoming marginalized in America's increasingly post-Christian culture." Public prayer and calls for religious freedom are finding themselves the objects of mockery. Followers of Christ who refuse to go along with the new sexual orthodoxy advancing in our schools and workplaces find their livelihoods threatened and their reputation in tatters. And yet the coronavirus pandemic, while all this is going on, is a real crisis for all its evil and associated suffering that presents the church with an undeniable opportunity. As frightened pagans, atheists, agnostics, and nuns around us hoard toilet paper and hand sanitizer and socially distance themselves, we who trust in a loving and sovereign Lord have opened doors that we perhaps thought were closed forever. We have answers, gay. We have real answers to real problems. He says to do this, we need to re- perhaps rethink our position on some things. So instead of living for ourselves, demanding our own way, and making sure that we're number one, making sure I get mine, we need to adopt a mindset of servanthood, of what it is to serve all. We read that Jesus, in his own words, said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The biblical instruction Uh, To serve others includes even those, especially those who hold us in contempt. I think about John chapter 13 where Jesus wraps himself with a towel. I've mentioned this many times because it's such a profound passage on what leadership, on what servanthood, on what Christianity is about. He wraps himself with a towel and he bends down and he washes all of his disciples' feet. And he says, I've done this as an example for you that when you go out there, that you understand that your position is to go low. A servant's not greater than his master. I've done this to you. Now this is how you need to interact with others. I want to make sure that you understand that when he washed those guys' feet, Judas was still in the ranks. I can only imagine the eye contact that went between the Lord and the man who was about to turn him in to deny him and and to betray him. As Jesus washed Judas' feet, wiped the dirt off onto his own Uh, apron and and clothing. It's important that we understand, we're going to need to move away from the black hat, white hat and understand that these are people for whom Christ died. It's important to understand that there is a divine responsibility that comes with facing this crisis. Uh, One of the things that, that he writes here, he says, for starters, let's check on our neighbors and find out what they need. Bring them food and supplies and encourage them in the name of Christ. There are safe ways to do that, guys. Of course, we want to be mindful of, of, the last thing we want to do is in the name of helping someone become carriers of this awful disease and spread it around. But there are ways. I'm blessed. I see people in our church beginning to step up and to discover ways to serve others. But there are ways to do that. Uh part of why we're putting this church directory together is so that we can be in touch with one another. We don't have to be here to have a conversation, to reach out, to say how are you doing? You're just on my heart. Can I pray for you? Can we pray together? Do you, do you need food? Are you out of work? Is there something going on in your life that I can pray for? Part of why we're putting together this prayer deal for 24-hour prayer is the needs are great and they're growing. It's all part of having the heart of a servant. It's all part of saying, Lord, what about me? How could you use me in this opportunity to be used through the COVID-19 virus, the coronavirus? There are those that are hard hit in this crisis. Uh, what about hourly workers uh, whose paychecks, uh, they're living paycheck to paycheck? Uh, I think about that. I know some that are faced with that. They're faced with, with what do we do now? Uh, what about working mothers with children who are now out of work and, and uh, they're not able to supply their children's needs? What about people that are searching and, and, totally dislodged from the things that are going on, totally stressed out. Uh, And and I'm not looking down my nose at people that are hoarding toilet paper and hand sanitizer. My goodness, they're just being faithful to that nature. And and we have the opportunity to, to tell them, look, there's a new nature that you could have. His name is Jesus. He went to the cross for you. He died and then he rose from the dead to give you power to live. Resurrection power. That's what we're talking about here. And that's what he does. The opportunities are endless. Depending on our circumstances, depending on your situation, there are opportunities to share the love of Christ in a tangible way at times. No, of course, I'm not saying be foolish. You're not going to walk into the, somebody's house that's overcome with this virus and, and expect that you're not going to go home and have the risk of contaminating other people. That's, that's not what what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is is how can we come alongside? We certainly have the ability to drop food off at somebody who's very, very sick at their door. We certainly have the ability to, to call and to reach out and to come out of ourselves And to say, Lord, what about me? How would you use me? How can I be effective for you in this mess? Those are great questions. And they're questions that are answered by his word, by his Holy Spirit. The point is, whatever we do, let's not waste this time. Let's not waste the crisis because people's hearts, I'll tell you what, people go through periods. They go through seasons of being harvestable or not. I've noticed that in my own life, even with my own family, there are times where their hearts are hard. They say, I don't want it. Just get away. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to hear about it. Just be quiet. And I've seen those very same people in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a a significant trial say, well, tell me more. What about this Jesus that you follow? That's the point. The opportunities are great and they're endless. Do you have eyes to see what those are? The point is it's servanthood with responsibility. I want to close with a passage of Scripture that I think is especially comforting. I mean, we look at these things. We look at uh, having once walked according to our lusts and our desires, having once walked according to the prince of the power of the air. And and for those of us who know Christ this morning, there's great comfort. Yes, there's comfort now in very trying circumstances, and there's great comfort in our final victory. In 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to go through verses 50 through 55, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, The apostle Paul says, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. There's that dividing line, the dead and the living. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Sleep here is a euphemism for death. What he's saying is we will not all die but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Folks, that victory is ours. It's already been won. It's a matter of availing ourselves of that victory, of walking victoriously and trying challenging times, of understanding that, yes, there's an old life, and I want to keep that old life the old life, and I purpose in my heart to follow him. And I purpose in my heart that if his Holy Spirit convicts me in an area, I need to give it to him and not entertain it, not be held as a slave to my own desires. When he talks about this mortal putting on immortality, we have passed from death to life and we can't die. Oh, we might shed this physical body. But when you put on immortality, that begins at the moment of conversion. And you can be walking as an immortal person on this earth for the duration of the time until this body wears out or perishes because of sickness or whatever it is, that we know that we're one heartbeat from heaven. That's incredible news. It's incredible news in the face of the adversity that we see all around us. It's incredible news in seeing questions, uh, with our health questions, with our economy questions, with our families. It's incredible news to know that our lives are in the palm of his hand and that nothing, Jesus said, no, nothing, no one can snatch them out of my hand, that, that I belong to him. And as his child, I have put on immortality and now as I walk out this life, as I have the heart of a servant, as I look at what it means to serve him in the midst of really tough stuff, my life can be blessed. I can have peace and assurance in, in, in the midst of craziness. That's what I believe God's will is for our church. Not just our church, but the church. I, I, I wrote a couple of letters this week, and, and one of them I put a statement in there. I don't know if you guys read it or not, but I had fun writing it. Uh, but I put a statement in there that, that in the midst of adversity, if you go back in church history, that if you go back and you look back at, at all of the major events in church history, you see that in the midst of adversity, God's church strengthens, we press in, we move forward, and we grow. And the church flourishes in adversity as part of his design, as part of what it is to be a city on a hill, to be a light in a dark world, to be a living person among a lot of dead people. Spiritual life is real. Spiritual blindness is real. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends forth workers into the harvest because the harvest is ripe. And I believe it's ripening, folks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that your word is sure and accurate and profitable and applicable to our lives this morning. As we've looked, Lord, at what it means to be uh, passing from death to life, not life to death, but death to life, and that life has no end. What a glorious truth it is, what a glorious assurance it is in the middle of difficult days to look at the big picture and to see that with that being the case, that our lives can count for now. Lord, give us wisdom as we reach out. Give us the ability to be discerning. Give us hearts of mercy and compassion. Lord, let us be gracious to one another as many of us are, are kind of thrust together and, and spending time together 24-7. Let us, Lord, glorify you in this time. Let our lives count. And we know, Lord, it's only through your power having the perspective, and now having your power, we pray, Father, that you would anoint, that you would guide, that you would direct, and that it would be for your glory. We thank you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. The Lord bless you and keep you. Give you a great day. Let's worship the Lord.